You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. Take a seat and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in uh, verses 26 to 30 today, Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, please slip up your hand. And one of our uh, one of our ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. Before we get there, though, just a quick announcement from our elders, just to keep you updated on one thing here, uh, separate from our announcements, is that we're excited. We're excited to let you know the fact that we now have an official Harvest Compassion Food Bank. And so, yeah, we're excited about moving forward into God's mission, what He has for us in our community. So, as you remember, back in January, we. Um, appointed some deacons, some men to lead over and serve over some areas of ministry of the church that we just don't have time to as elders, and we want to and we care about. And so Richard Dykema has been our deacon of compassion since January and doing such a great job of already ministering to people in our church who have needs and, and that we can come alongside and, and care for. Richard's been doing that. And so uh, this food bank, first and foremost, is going to be to care for those within our church family. Now, we know Galatians 6.10 tells us to be ready to do good to everybody, but especially those of the household of faith. And so we have a lot. We don't realize that maybe we have a lot in our church that just have some, some daily needs, some sick, some shut-ins, and some others that just sort of struggle in some areas of, 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 of need. And so we're going to first care for them, but our goal is, as you start giving to these things, you can read, read here, as you start giving to these things, our goal is then to make these same resources available to you to minister to those in your neighborhoods, in your community, so we can then collectively reach out with the love and compassion of Jesus. Isn't that a good idea? You know it's a good idea? Because God calls us to it. It's not an option for us. It is what God is calling us to do. So I'm excited about this. And so starting next week, bring in your non-perishable food items. Next week's the kickoff of it. And then the first of every month when we do our compassion giving of loose change, we're also going to bring uh, food stuff in to care for those in and outside our church. And so you can also drop stuff off at the office anytime uh, during the week. So uh, thank you, Richard, for all your diligent service to that. If you are here, I can't see a thing today, so I have no idea who's here. Doesn't matter. I can see the word of God in front of me. That's why we came, right? Amen. So let's turn in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 26. I'm excited about today's message titled, I've entitled it simply this, God's Got Me. It's one of those passages that I go to often in life. It's one of my go-tos. It's one of my ones that I come back to on a regular basis because it reminds me of this reality. No matter what I'm facing, no matter how hard life seems, God's got me. I'm sure you're like me. You get to these places in life where our minds start swirling, we exasperate, our minds start swirling like an Oklahoma tornado, and we start wondering, is God still here? Where is God? This passage reminds us that God has me. I'm sure you're like me. We sometimes walk through some of the situations of life, and our emotions feel like they're a canoe in the ocean, and they're like being tossed to and fro, and we're frazzled. We're like, where is God? Is God still here? This passage reminds us that God has got me. Sometimes it feels like in life, like we're in a lost, like we're lost, like we're in a dark, lonely cave, and where is everybody? I can't feel all alone. Where's God? Where is he? Is, is God still there? Reminds us here that God's got me. Other times in life, I find myself, it feels like we're, I'm just, you ever tried to run it down a hill, and you're running down a hill, and your feet are trying to keep up with your body, and you just feel like you're going to fall over anytime. You start getting panicked. You're like, what if I fall? Is anyone, is anyone going to catch me? This pastor reminds me what? God's got me. And as we long for glory, we looked at this last week, as we long for glory, as the Holy Spirit instills in us a longing for our eternal presence with God, here's the truth. God gives us assurance in his promises that no matter 
What this journey holds for us, God has us. And to be fully alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, we just have to get these three encouraging truths from God's word today. Let me read the passage, and you'll see as I read it, you'll see why I'm so excited about this. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What an encouragement, isn't it? This means that within us, it's not just the power to fight sin. It's not just the power to stand strong for God. Within us is everything we need to live this life for the glory of God. And the first thing we need in this passage that the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives us is this. It's, it's an important truth I don't want you to miss. The Holy Spirit helps me pray in my weakness. See that in verses 26 and 27? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit helps me pray in my weakness. This word likewise, it's likewise. It's carrying on from the last passage. Remember last week, we're, we're groaning. There's this internal groaning for just see Jesus and be with Jesus. The Holy Spirit joins in the chorus of all of creation. He's also groaning and longing for the same thing that we long for. The day when Jesus comes back, and, and in the meantime, he is constantly interceding for us with groanings that are too deep for words in my sinful and weak state. Oftentimes I hear this, hear this passage interpreted like this. It's, it's, oh, in my times of weakness, in my times of obvious weakness, that's when the Holy Spirit really kicks in. But think about it for me with a minute. Think about this with me for a moment. This word weakness is not just referring to those isolated times where we're feeling obviously overwhelmed. This word weakness is speaking to the very reality of our, our humanly existence. This word weakness is speaking to the, 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 the constant nature of who we are. We as human beings are in a constant state of spiritual weakness. You realize that, don't you? We think we're all strong and tough and, and yet we... Realize very quickly as we try to love the Lord that, man, I want to love the Lord, but the opposite, but the reality is I kind of can sometimes seem so fickle in my heart. Why is that? Because I'm weak. I want to do what's right, but it's amazing to me my ability to do the opposite of what I know is right. Why is that? Because I'm so weak. I think I have so much courage and stamina, and yet when Hardships come, my frailty shines through, and I realize that I am so weak to do anything of what God has called me and asked me to be and do. And so this understanding here of God helps me in my weakness, he's really referring to your everyday existence. When does the Holy Spirit help us? Every single day of our lives. God knows that we're not nearly as good as we think we are, so he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us 
This word help is to share the burden with us, to relieve us of the load of our overwhelming weakness. And what's the way he helps us the most? He helps us pray. See that? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's the greatest way the Holy Spirit can help us? I'm sure you have some ideas. Well, if only the Holy Spirit can help me with my finances. If only the Holy Spirit could help me with, you know, find a job. If only the Holy Spirit could help me. Here's where the Holy Spirit's greatest help comes for our lives. It's as he helps us pray. He helps us pray and connects our hearts to the fathers. Here's, here's under this sub point of this first point. I want you to write this. I really don't know what I need. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to even help us know what we need to ask for before God. Here's the truth. If it was up to me, I wouldn't even get a prayer out of my lips. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, you and I would get all turned around and not even pray in the right direction. But it's so encouraging and so powerful to know that beneath our best attempts at prayer, we have God himself dwelling within us Praying on our behalf. How many times have you come into a time with the Lord and you're just like, ah, I just don't know what to pray? So we walk away. How many of you have come up to times in your life where you're like, I know exactly what to pray for. Why don't you pray with me because I have an exact idea of what God needs to do in my life right now only to be frustrated and wonder why God's not answering only to find three months, four months, five months later that, man, am I ever thankful God didn't answer that prayer in my life because that would have been the worst. Ever been there? We don't know what to pray. We pray, God, if you give me this, I'll be happy in the Holy Spirit helps us get all our prayers right before God as he intercedes for us. You need to think of this idea of prayer. Man, do we need God's help with prayer. Not only does this passage remind us of the fact that we don't know what to pray for, but here's the truth of what is so promising for us. The Holy Spirit in us lets God know what is best for me. The Holy Spirit in us lets God know what is best for me. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. See that word? It's in here a couple of times. He intercedes for us with moanings and groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, when we pray and we get to this place of like, God, I need you, I want you, but I don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, hey, I know what they need. I know what they want. Let me step in and interpret for them. He steps in and comes to our rescue every single day. The power of the Holy Spirit. We minimize the Holy Spirit, but we can't. How powerful the Holy Spirit is in our lives, amen? And he's constantly interceding and appealing to God on our behalf. Reminds me a lot of how my wife intercedes on my behalf and appeals on my behalf when we go to Quebec and I try and speak French. I'm one of those guys, as you probably figured out by now, like, I don't like people talking for me. I can talk well on my own. And so when we go to Quebec, I'm always like, hey, Ruth, you know, like, let me try this time. Like, I'm going to try and figure this out. My, my grade nine French skills, you know, from way back when, they're going to kick in this trip, I know for sure. And so inevitably, every time I, Ruth's like, okay, why don't you just let me do it? I'm like, no, no, I can do it. You stand beside me in case I need help. So how often do you think I need help? 
I've painted for myself some very awkward positions for my wife as, as I say things, and she's like, no, he doesn't mean that. I'm like, yes, I do mean that. I've said some things ordering food in different places that I can't even repeat in church. Seriously, that my wife beat red going, no, please stop, please stop, now let me talk. Let's just get our food, let's get out of here, let's never come back. You've just embarrassed the whole family name. And that's a picture of really, I think, how arrogant we are sometimes in thinking that we've got it all figured out before God in the spiritual, in, in the spiritual realm. And we come before God and we're like, God, here's what my order is. Here's what I, I need and here's what I want. And the Holy Spirit's standing beside us going like, no, no, please stop talking. Let me, let me do it. I have got this language figured out. I know what's best for you. When it comes to God, here's the reality. Our words are limited. Our understanding is narrow. And our understanding is narrow when it comes to the things of God. We try our best and we never really seem to communicate what is really on my heart or my mind. But yet the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit within us is constantly interpreting the moans and the groans of our hearts before God. We pray, this is what I need. The Holy Spirit prays in light of their true longing for glory. God, hears what they really need. Even in those moments where we're so distressed, nothing comes out of our lips. We're just like, ah! I just wish I could pray. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, I got that, ah. I got that, ah. And I'm right now before God telling God what that, ah, means in your heart. Every SOS we send, whether it's coherent or not, every SOS we send, the Holy Spirit right away sends it to the chief coast guard who doesn't have to find out what's wrong, where are you? The, our position is known. Our very, very need is exactly present in his eyes and he comes and he comes to our rescue and gives us everything we need and that's so encouraging because look what it says here. Look what it says here. It says, he is the only one who searches hearts He's the only one that really knows what's deep in our hearts. Even we don't. Uh, the, the Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things, so we think we know what our hearts need, but only the Holy Spirit knows. But not only does he know our hearts, but he also knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows the mind of God. 1 Corinthians 2.11, who knows the mind of God but the Holy Spirit of God? And so here's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He makes a connection between what our hearts, our hearts true condition, what they really need and want, to the mind and the will of God in our lives. He makes connections that we could never make in our own strength. And he actively, and he actively pursues God's will for my life. Look at the last part of verse 27 there. I don't know about you, but I find this massively encouraging. Because <laughs> not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for us according to What's best for us, he's interceding for us according to God's will for us. What is God's will? What is God's will? I just want to know God's will. I just want to be able to pray God's will. You don't have to sweat it anymore. You can just get the best way you know how before God and trust that the Holy Spirit is actually praying the will of God on behalf of your life. John MacArthur says this, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God works unrelenting in us to do what we could never do alone, bring about the perfect will of God. So the Holy Spirit's role in us is to constantly push us and prod us and prompt us towards the will of God. 
So when we pray these words like Jesus did, they're just, God, your will be done. We pray your will be done. Like, I don't have to know what that means. I don't have to figure that out. The Holy Spirit's like, I know what that means. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, your will be done. I don't really want to go here, but your will be done. The Holy Spirit's like, I interpret that. I interpret that. God, give me strength and courage to walk the path of death and carry my cross and be nailed to the cross on behalf of the sins of the world. That's really what Jesus is praying in that passage, not my will be done. He submits himself to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings it before the Lord. As we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and we pray, God, your will be done, the Holy Spirit has the greatest understanding of our lives to, to see God fully play that out in our lives. I say, God, do this and do that. The Holy Spirit brings out what I really need. I pray, God, give me a pain-free life. The Holy Spirit does this. He knows that we don't need a pain-free life. What he knows that we need to know God deeper through our pains. You and I pray, God, give me more stuff, but the Holy Spirit interprets that for us. God, what he, what he or she doesn't need is more stuff. What we need for is contentment and true satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Answer that prayer, oh God, on their behalf. I think I need healing. I think I need healing in my physical realm, but the Holy Spirit knows what I need more than physical healing is a, uh, the deep reality of supernatural strength and grace to make Christ clearly evident to everybody within my moment of trial. I pray God take temptation from me, put it right off the radar, but the Holy Spirit knows what I need more is greater faith to love the Lord and, and greater courage to fight the sin that remains in my life. Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. You many times I rely on this passage every week? I don't know God. I'm overwhelmed. I'm discouraged. I just don't know. And the Holy Spirit is saying, but I know. Leave it to me. I will make sure your prayers are heard before God and I will make sure they're answered in the best way possible for your life. Two things this does for us before we move on to the next verse. Two things it does. First one is this. It gives us confidence to come to God in prayer. I don't know about you, but, but I put so much pressure on myself to, to pray the right prayers and ask for the right things and not ask for the right things. The relief is the Holy Spirit has me and I can start every prayer with, okay, God, I think I know what to pray, but help me pray right now. Give me wisdom to pray. Make these prayers glorifying and honoring to you. It gives me confidence in coming to the Lord. Second thing it does, it gives me earnestness in coming to the Lord. It gives me persistence in coming to the Lord. How many times have you been in your life? I don't know what to pray, so... I'm just not going to pray. How's your prayer life going off? Oh, I've never known to pray for a month or two now, so I just stopped praying. I gave up. You know what that is? That's the enemy keeping you from the one thing that brings you power and victory in your life, prayer. This passage is great assurance that your prayers are being heard, your prayers are getting through, and God will hear and move in your life in his exact timing, in his exact way, for your good and his glory. Here's our role in prayer. We pray our best, and the Holy Spirit takes care of the rest. Comes to prayer. You just gotta pray your best. The Holy Spirit takes care of the rest. 
And here's the rest of the Holy Spirit, verse 28. Even if you haven't been around church long, you will know this verse because it's everywhere. Here's the best of the Holy Spirit, point number two. God works all things together for my good by the power of the Holy Spirit. God works all things together for my good by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Did you hear that this morning? I gotta say this again because I don't want this truth. This is one of the greatest truths of the scriptures. This is one that's hard for us to understand, but just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not true for us. Listen to me, read it again. And let God speak this into your heart. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what this means? Not only does the Holy Spirit help us pray, but the Holy Spirit actively indwells us to work out all things. What's all things? All things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He works within us to work out all things according to his good purpose. R.A. Torrey calls this a soft pillow for a tired heart. This is a soft pillow for a tired heart. I'm assuming there's many tired hearts in here today that need to hear this. God is working everything out in your life for your good according to his good purpose. Look how verse 28 starts. We know this. We know this. We know is used five times in Romans and it's a term not used to like, hey, I think so or hey, I've, I've come to a sort of conclusion about this. This term we know is a assurance of believers that is caused by the indwelling of God. To know means to really know. It's a common knowledge of the Christian that the Holy Spirit makes real. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, what he does, he brings you on into the inner circle of God for some truths that the world doesn't know, but we can see one of those truths is simply this, that everything that happens in our lives is for God's good purpose. Now let me define good for you before some of you, I know some of you are already thinking this, good purpose, you're telling me everything's happened to me for good purpose? Give me a break, pastor, I could tell you things that would make your head spin, and it's definitely not for good. Let me define good for you to help you understand this passage. Because I'm with you on that, by the way. I'm with you on that. I think good, and I think, wow, I look at my own life. Even I'm like, that, that's good? Like, here's what good is, according to the ESV study Bible. Here's what good is. Good doesn't consist of earthly comfort, but conformity to Christ. Closer fellowship with God, bearing good fruit for the kingdom, and ultimately glorification. Here's what real good is in God's eyes. We can't define this by our own terms. We can't define this by the world. Here's what good is in God's eyes. It doesn't consist of earthly comfort, but conformity to Christ, closer fellowship with God, bearing good fruit for the kingdom and ultimately glorification. This, this verse is telling us that God has us. He has us in our prayer life, but he has us in our, in our everyday reality. He's totally got us and everything he's using for his good purpose in us, for his beautiful plan for our good. 
Let's be real here. Some, let's be real here. Sometimes God uses ingredients that we wouldn't quite expect for a good outcome. Recently, we've been given a juicer. Ruth got a juicer from her mom for her birthday. And uh, it's been a wonderful thing for our family. For breakfast, we get, instead of like Golden Grahams, we get a glass full of fruit and vegetables. And it's actually really good. I'm surprised. It's actually really good. It kind of smells kind of gross, but it's really good. And what I found is it's healthy for me, and it gives me energy throughout the day, and I can't miss my juicer now. But here's what I want to parallel to this pastor. This is interesting to me. When I look at the ingredients that Ruth sets out to put in this juicer beforehand, here's my first thought is, that's going to be disgusting. Like, those things just don't go together. We got apples, we got carrots, we got celery, we got beets, and some other things that I've never seen before, even know what they're called. Amazing thing is, when you put them in the juicer and mix them all together, somehow at the end of that thing, you got a cup full of something that is really good. It doesn't just taste good, but it's good for you. And it's, see the parallel to this? God works everything for good. Sometimes he uses trials and hardships and pain and suffering and grieving. And it all goes in the blender of our lives along with his goodness and all the good things that we like that he gives. It all goes in there. And somehow at the end of it all, we just have a healthy and a holy goodness left. doesn't always seem that way, but let me use an illustration from someone in my own life that I've come to know and love very dearly, a good friend of mine back in 2000 was living life and enjoying everything that comes with being a married man of 14 years with four kids between the ages of two and 12 and life was just going as it was supposed to go and as you plan it to go and uh, of course it doesn't always go that way and so one day he gets a word that his wife has cancer and after a short battle with cancer it came to a place where her body gave way, and she went to be with the Lord. Now, that's not just a hard time. That's a devastating time. Left him in this place of, what, what now? Four little kids, burying my wife. Can you imagine what you'd think of that? Same thing I'd think. How can anything good come out of this? The funeral, his wife's greatest desire was not that she'd be put on the pedestal, but that Jesus Christ would be put on the pedestal. We'd, they'd be a worship service for him. And she asked the pastor, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Got, pastor got up and preached the gospel at her funeral and gave an altar call at a funeral. Six of her family and friends who'd never received Jesus Christ before came to the front of the church. And that day were changed forever. I was talking to my friend about it this week, just making sure it was okay. I used his illustration and just make sure I had all the details straight. He goes, yeah, but don't stop there, pastor. Don't stop there, pastor, because, because since then, I don't know how many people have come to me and said, hey, the catalyst of my life, the seed that was planted in my life for my salvation was the day of your wife's funeral. He's like, we have no idea the residuals of all of that happened through her life. Good? In God's eyes, Good? You ask Dave Hahn after church today if he would see it as good now 16 years later after his first wife passed away. You know what he tells you? God's still good, pastor. 
You ask Gail, his first wife, if it was good, and she's dining and dancing with Jesus today, and some of her family and friends are going to be in all eternity with her. You think she thinks it's good? Oh, it's good. You ask some of those family and friends that their lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ because of the death of a loved one, do you think it's good for them? It's good. Oh, it's good. No, I get it. I get it. It doesn't always turn out in ways that we can see like that here on earth. I get it. Sometimes we, it's not always as obvious how circumstances in my life are for good. Illness, bankruptcy, divorce, mental illness, all those things. Fort McMurray, the fires. Little boy in Font Hill hit by his dad accidentally on a lawn tractor. He's going to be okay. But like, he's, if you're like me, like, how can this be good, God? How can this be good? And yet, what other recourse do we have in times like this but to grab a hold of verse 28 and say, I am going to choose to believe this today, God. I am going to choose to believe that you do do all things good for those that love you and are devoted to you. I'm going to choose to believe that this is good. In spite of what I feel, in spite of what I think, in spite of what I see, I'm choosing to put my anchor here, God, today by faith. Just because you can't see it and don't understand it doesn't mean you have to refuse to believe it today. Bottom line is this, God is bigger than our ultimate best and our ultimate worst. God is bigger than that, amen? God is bigger than our ultimate best and our ultimate worst. Even look at biblical examples of this. Joseph, remember Joseph? Got the coat of many colors. His brothers were all jealous. They beat him up, threw him in a pit, Eventually sold him to slavery, took their, his coat back and said, Dad, our brother, he's dead. And dad mourned. And yet, yet what happened to Joseph? He was taken to a place where he was leading. He got to a place because of all that. He got to a place where he was leading uh, second and third in command to an empire. It propelled him to this place where God wanted him all the time. And so you get to Genesis chapter uh, 50, verse 19, when David or jo Joseph is before his brothers and his brothers are like bowing before him and they're apologizing profusely as I'm sure you and I, I'm so, so sorry. Here's what, here's what he said. Joseph said, do not fear for I am, am I not in the place of God? In other words, has, has God not worked all this out? As for you, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Can you think of any other biblical examples of guys with names that start with J? That God took a pretty horrible situation in life to turn it into someone's ultimate good? Can you think of any other guys? Like God's not distant from our pain and suffering in this world. In fact, he entered it in Jesus Christ and he, God the Father had a front row, get this, had a front row seat to watching humanity murder his son. And yet through that, he turned the ultimate worst, the crucifixion of the Son of God into the redemption of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if God can do that in Joseph's life and God can do that in Jesus' life, what can he not do in our lives? It says in Isaiah 53, verse 10, that it was God's good will to crush his son and put him to grief. Why? That the nations would be saved. If God can even work out that for good, don't you think he can take 
our most untimely decisions, our most difficult situations, our most confusing happenings for our ultimate, and take those and turn them to our ultimate good? Don't you even think that he can manipulate, maneuver our best calls and our most Facebook-friendly moments and our, the uncannily, perfectly timed scenarios of our lives and somehow create in all of those things the ultimate good for us? Of course he can. This is the God that we love and serve. God's got us. God's got you. God's got me in this life. Here's the truth we get out of this. William McDonald says it well. He says this, get this. You don't think God has you? Get this. Our lives are not controlled by impersonal forces like chance, luck, or fate, but by your wonderful personal Lord who is way too loving to be unkind and way too wise to err. This is the God that we serve. This is our hope as believers that, that our lives are not controlled by some impersonal forces like chance, luck, or fate, but by our wonderful personal Lord who is way too loving to be unkind and way too wise to err. Look what it says in the next few verses. Really, to summarize them for you before I read them, it's this. He's too strong to allow you or your circumstances to ruin his plans. God is too strong to allow you or your circumstances to ruin his plans. For look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Simply put, it's this, point number three. My whole life is a testimony to God's grace. My whole life is a testimony to the fact that God has me covered from before time began well into eternity. God's got me covered. Your whole life is simply this. It's one giant God at work story. If there's a headline to your life, it'd simply be this. What's the headline to my life? What does, it all ref- what does it all come down to? God's got me. God's not just the designing architect of your life. He's also the chief executive officer. And nothing happens without his sovereign hand and his intention, his greatest intention for you is to save you and to use you to show the world around you the reality of his glory. Last two verses here is really Christianity all boiled down to two verses showing you the grand plan of God and how he truly has you covered from A to Z, from before you were born into all of eternity. And this is ultimately God's good that he is working out in you to make you more like Jesus and prepare you for heaven. See that in verse 29 for those... What's his good purpose for those whom he foreknew? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything that's happening in our lives is so that God would conform us to the image of his son. What's your greatest good is that you'd look more like Jesus Christ on the inside. the reality of our ongoing salvation in Jesus. That's God's ultimate good for us. A lot of big words in here that I want to unpack for you. Sometimes we get to these big words and we're like, well, I just want to skip over this. I really don't know what that means, but it just must mean something good. And as long as I love Jesus, that's all good, right? As long as I love Jesus, I don't need to know what those mean. But knowing what these words mean really gives substance and fullness to your love and your life in Jesus. Let me help you understand really the full reality of God's amazing grace to you to show you how clearly he has got you covered from A to Z in this life. 
First word we see here in verse 29 is this, for those whom he foreknew. Here's what foreknow means. It means that God knew you in a special way before creation. God didn't just know of you before you knew of him. It's not like he's like, hey, I heard of you before on, on Facebook and you're friends with so-and-so, so hey, great. Finally, nice to meet you. God knew you before your grandparents even existed, before Adam and Eve even were on this earth, before the earth was even formed. Guess what? God knew you. Not just in the sense of like, he knows, he's omniscient, he knows everybody, but, but he knew you in a special, intimate way as his child, even before you were a thought. Before you were, God made a special choice to know you intimately if you're a believer in Jesus today. Next word we see here is predestined. Simply means this, God chose or selected you before you chose him. God didn't know you, he chose and selected you before you even chose him. Sort of like what we're all waiting for with the Leafs draft pick, right? They finally get the number one overall draft pick and we're like, who are they gonna pick? Who are they gonna pick? It's either Austin Matthews or Patrick, whatever his last name is. I'll tell you this, they're gonna pick the wrong one, just so you know. But as we sit here today, I guarantee you the Toronto Maple Leafs already know who they're gonna pick. And here's what's gonna happen. Whomever they pick, as soon as they call his name, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna be like, oh, I'm a Maple Leaf. I love this ownership. I love this team. I want to give myself for this team. I want to be the franchise. I want to, right? It's the same way it is with us. God knew he was going to pick us. The moment he chose us and called our name and said, you're mine, it's this love filled with it. It's like, I'm, I'm called a child of God. I want, I want to serve this master. I want to give my life for this team. I want to give my everything for this team. I want to embrace Jesus because he has shown me such amazing grace. Next one is this, it's conformed to the image of his son. Theological term is sanctified. God shapes you to look like Jesus. Ultimately, God's plan for your life, he uses everything and anything to make this happen. He wants you to look more like Jesus. Jeremiah 18 gives us a picture of what sanctification looks like. It says that we are the clay in the potter's hands. In other words, what, is it, what does clay do to be molded into whatever it's going to be molded to? It just, it just sits in the potter's hands, right? And the potter's always moving it and, and shaping it. That's, that's what Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He conforms us to the image of Jesus. He makes us exactly what the master wants us to be and makes us who the master wants us to be to resemble his son. It's this ongoing process of sanctification, working out the life of Christ in us. Next word here is called. Called, not called as in, hey, what do you think about me being your, your God, your dad, you want to hang out, but called as in, God gave you a shout out you couldn't resist. Those whom he predestined, he also called. It's like, hey, it's me, it's your father. I've been missing you. I've been wanting a relationship with you. I've been waiting for the right time just to tap you on the shoulder and get your attention. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want to do life with you. And you're sitting there going like, wow, I had a dad. I didn't even know I had a dad. This is amazing. Your whole world is changing. And he calls you in a way that you can't resist. Yes, why would I not want a loving father to care for me and be with me in this life? Of course I want that relationship. He calls you. 
Not just generic call, but specifically calls you. He also does this. He justifies you. See that word? Here's what justified means. It means God forgave me and cleansed me of every speck of sin. Is your mind starting to be blown with the reality of what God is doing in us and for us? God forgave me and cleansed me of every speck of sin. And here's the deal. God so thoroughly cleanses us that I don't just look brand new, but I am brand new and now can function in a whole new way. Like sin doesn't control me anymore. God justified me. And before Jesus justified me, before God now, I am just as if I've never sinned. Even though I do so every single day in almost every unimaginable way. And finally, it's this, God glorified me. God completely assures me of heaven and reserves my spot in glory. God completely assured and reserved my spot in heaven. Glorification is something that's to come, but look how it says it here. It's in past tense. It's like it's already a done deal. It's like the moment you're saved, guess what? Your reservation in heaven is like sure, it's solid, it's sold. No one can take that place away from you. He has glorified you in his presence already before you're even there. Isn't that amazing? And one day your soul will be fully free to embrace Jesus and your bodies will be fully renewed to enjoy the full reality of what it means to be completely, completely in the presence of God. And if you look at this list of God's amazing grace, the testimony of God's grace in our lives, what is in here that we have to do and what is in here that God has done? God's done it all. Ever wonder if God really has you covered? Be honest with me. Ever wonder if God really has you covered? Look no further than this list. Before the world was even here, God knew you. And he chose you to be his child and he called you out and, and, and he saved you and now he's sanctifying you and, and, and one day he's gonna glorify you. This is... We can be honest, right? There's many times in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year that I'm like laying awake at night going, God, do you really have me? How can I be sure that you really have me? It doesn't look like it's really going in the direction that's supposed to go. These circumstances are overwhelming me, God. I can't even collect my thoughts and my heart is pounding. Like, do you really have me? Yeah, pastors ask that question too, probably more than you guys maybe. See why it's good to camp on this passage? But I know my own sin. I drive myself crazy with who I am sometimes. Do you really have me, God? My son, my daughter, your life is a testimony today to my amazing grace that shows that I have got you every step of the way. And between now and between glory, when we see Jesus, here's the deal. As God works all these things out in us, he has never left one behind. He's never done a, a head count and found, oh, one's missing. He gets us to the bus, gets us on the bus, gets us to the field trip of life and through the field trip of life and back on the bus and gets us to our final destination where we belong in heaven and glory. 
and he's never yet lost one and he never will because that's how big and how good and how great our God is. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Believe. God, give me faith to believe this. Give me faith to not just recite this passage, but to really know it in my heart. Holy Spirit does that. We learn that. To, to grow it in my heart as I live this life for you and for your glory. Believe this. Live this. Live it out. You can live like this is true. Those things pile up on you. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fret. You don't got to become undone. Okay, God, I'm trusting. It's one of those ingredients. I don't know why it's in the drink, but it's going to be a good one. I'm going to stop trying to figure everything out and controlling everything. I'm just going to let you be God. And I'm just going to sit here and worship you. Just worship. I can't muster any worship. I don't. Read this again to this afternoon. You'll worship. God's got you. He's got me. Not only has God promised us heaven, but he's promised to give us everything we need along the way. God has you more than you could ever know or realize. So in the end, you know what you're gonna do? In the end, you're just gonna look up and say, thank you, Jesus. All glory to God. And all we have to do in the meantime is love him, trust him, and depend upon him and walk by faith and not by sight. All I want for you to get is from this today. If you get nothing else of this whole sermon, I want you to get this. God's got me. Does God have you today? Say it together. God's got me. Does God have you today? It sounds like you really didn't believe that yet. Say it again. One, two, three. Does God have you today? One more time for good measure. You can't miss this. Does God have you? Amen. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca.